Now, O Lord, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of all of our hearts be found acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock, our strength, and our redeemer. If through the words of this human being we do not hear your voice, O God, we ask you to speak to each of us then here in the quietness of our hearts. Amen. Today we are continuing on our journey through the Sermon to the Hebrews. And as I've shared with you in past weeks about this really important and rich book of the New Testament, there's a lot we don't know about it. We don't know who wrote it. We're not even really sure what to call it sometimes. You'll hear me say Sermon to the Hebrews, Letter to the Hebrews, Writings to the Hebrews. Um, But it really does read more so like a sermon, a very very long sermon than anything else. In fact, it's such a long sermon, we're having to break it up over seven weeks, and we're still not going to cover every chapter. In fact, uh, you probably noticed that uh, this was chapter seven, and we took some verses out, and it was still, there was still so much that, that that we didn't get to. So I want to encourage you to be reading along with Hebrews as we go through the series, because we won't be able to cover every chapter. But one thing we do know about the book of Hebrews um, the, or the sermons of the Hebrews is this, and that is the fact that there was a the church was being formed, and there were there were groups of people forming the church who had decided to follow after Jesus. They were following after him, and they were setting the foundation for what we now know today as the church. They didn't know that at the time, but they knew that they had to be strong, that they had to come together and to bring and, and to find a way to proclaim the goodness of God and the message of Jesus Christ in the world. And here was the dilemma that they were in. Some of those who were following after Jesus were of Jewish heritage. Like Jesus, they grew up with what we know as our Old Testament being their way of life, being their laws, being the rules that they followed. But then you also had Gentiles who did not grow up in the Jewish faith, who did not grow up with the rituals of our Old Testament. They were following after Jesus, but they were familiar with the practices of their Jewish brothers and sisters. And there was just, there were a lot of questions about which rules do we follow, which laws do we continue to follow, which laws are still relevant, and what need, which ones need to be interpreted differently. And so the writer to the Hebrews is trying to take these hundreds and hundreds of years of Jewish teaching, of of the teaching of the Israelites and who they were as the chosen people of God, and interpret it for what it meant for us to be, for them to be the church of then and for us to be the church of today. So what we're going to be doing today is looking back with the writer of Hebrews at some really important parts of the Old Testament. And as I've shared with you in weeks past, one of the questions we are asking ourselves when we come to Hebrews every week is, what time is it? And for the past few weeks, we have focused on the time of now, the time of what God is calling us to do now as the church, as well as the time of the future that Christ is going to be coming again, that Jesus is going to be returning to us, and we need to be prepared. We need to be ready. The very first message in the series was about these being the last days. And and one of the things that we have to learn from our ancestors here is this constant waiting, this constant anticipation that Jesus could return at any moment. So what are we doing to prepare the way for him? What are we doing to share the good news of the gospel? That is our responsibility as the church. But today we're going to take a little trip back in time. We're going to look, instead of focusing on the present or the future, the time today is in the past. Now, 
Stepping into the past can be a dangerous thing sometimes, right? It could be easy to get bogged down in questions of what if I had done this differently and, and questions of what if, um, what if I could go back and change something. It's very easy to get stuck in the past, but that's not what we're going to do today. We are going to let the writer of Hebrews just help us to look back so that we can see how God was at work in the centuries before we, you and I were here today, and we can glean from that what it is that we need to know for today because you see friends looking back is good looking back is good when it propels us to move forward in Jesus looking back at where we see ourselves in the scripture and what God is saying to us helps mature us and helps to move us forward and today we're looking back at a man named Melchizedek now if I took a poll right now or if we took a questionnaire let's put it that way of okay who do you know that's in the Bible I'm guessing most everybody will say Jesus is in the Bible, right? Peter, Paul, David, Moses, Abraham. Those are some familiar names. I'm sure many of you are thinking of that. But how many of you, the first person that came to your mind was Melchizedek? It's also pronounced Melchizedek. I actually don't think either of those pronunciations are entirely correct. But how many of you would have said, I always think of Melchizedek? Well, some of us may be thinking... I never heard of Melchizedek until Laura read it to me just a few minutes ago, and that's understandable because he only appears twice in the Old Testament, once in Genesis and once in the Psalms. But what we see, the writer of Hebrews noticed something that many other people didn't. Melchizedek was extremely important. We don't know much about him. In fact, you're going to see today everything we know about him, but what we do know is that he is significant to who we are as the body of Christ. And one of the reasons Melchizedek is so important, look with me again in verse 1, is that he appears to Abraham, and we hear that in verse 1 we find out he's a king, uh, the king of Salem. He's very, he's very successful. And Abraham, in verse 2, we find, out, we, we find out that he gave him a tenth of everything. If you're ever wondering where did we get this idea in the church of giving 10%, of our income to God, well, guess what? It goes back to a man named Melchizedek. Abraham gave him a tenth of the best because, because uh, Melchizedek represented a priest. He represented a king. He represented the presence of God. Look with me in verse 2 about what Melchizedek means. His name means king of righteousness. And he is also a king of Salem. That is a king of peace. And at the end of verse 3, we also find out that Melchizedek was a priest as well. He was a king as well as a priest. That sounds familiar, right? Well, yeah, because in the Gospels we learn that Jesus is the king of kings and lord of lords, right? And we also find out that when Jesus gave his life for us, he became the great high priest. Only two times in scripture do we hear of somebody being both king and priest at the same time. That's Melchizedek and then again with our Lord Jesus. But in order to fully understand what's happening there, we have to know what it means to be a priest. Now, this first passage that I just quoted to you, this part about who Melchizedek is, I encourage you to go back and read Genesis chapter 14 to read the whole story about Abraham's encounter with this mysterious king who disappears after this. But it's important for us to realize, friends, when we hear about Melchizedek being a priest, that in our, in our Jewish ancestry, in our Old Testament ancestry, God set down laws for who would be priests. There are the Levites, those who were descendants 
of a man named Levi, which included Moses. Um, we all are very familiar with Moses. Any, uh, anyone who was born into the family of the Levites, they were automatically priests. It's not like today where someone like me who is not from the tribe of Levi hears a call from heaven that I'm supposed to be a minister and to preach, or you hear a call from God about your particular vocation and what you need to do. No, in, in, the, in the olden days, in the Old Testament days, you were you were you engaged in whatever practice, whatever vocation you were born into. So if you were born into the Levite clan, you had to become a priest. And God did this because he always, because God needed a group of people to act as mediators in the earth. Because you see, before Jesus came, we couldn't approach God all the way. There was always this barrier that we now know as sin that separated us from God. And so God appointed a certain group of people to serve as priests who the all of us, the people who were sinners, could take their gifts, could take their offerings, could take a tenth of their tithes and, and their offerings, take them to the priest, and the priest would carry those offerings in to the presence of God. And so those priests had a very significant role of acting as a mediator. And in verse 5, we hear about this. Look with me again in verse 5. Those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment to collect tithes from the people, that is from their kindred, though these also are descended from Abraham. But this man, talking about Melchizedek, who does not belong to their ancestry, collected tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had received the promises. So in this first part of the passage, what the writer of Hebrews is saying is, here's this man named Melchizedek. He is not a Levite. He is not of the priestly line, but he received tithes. And then this other part of the passage is telling us in Numbers chapter 12, there's another piece of homework for you to go look up. In Numbers chapter 12, we hear about what it means to be a priest, what, how God set up the priestly office. And so what, we, what we're seeing happening here is that there is in the Jewish heritage a way for people to be priests, a way for people to approach God because this is a group of people, these priests who are the mediators. But then what do we do with those of us who are Gentiles, with those of us who don't have that heritage? How do we make sense of what it means to be a priest? Well, you see, friends, that's where Jesus comes in to the picture. That's where the story of who we are comes today comes into the picture. Because this was something that, uh, because the, the way that everything was set up, not everybody could come to the, not everybody could come into the presence of God, but through Jesus we all can approach the throne of God together. And in verse 17, in verses 15 through 17, we hear this, it is ever more obvious when another priest arises resembling Melchizedek, one who has become a priest, not through legal requirement concerning physical descent, but through the power of an indestructible life. Friends, this is Jesus Christ, our Savior, being, being described here. And what we are hearing is that long before Jesus walked this earth, God gave us a little foreshadowing of what he would do through this man called Melchizedek. But did you notice that this man called Melchizedek just kind of shows up and then disappears? Think about what it must have been for Jesus's earthly life. He was a man from a, he was a man of trade from a small town. Many people probably overlooked him in his day like we overlook Melchizedek in the scriptures. And this is a reminder to us that God came and made a way for us to approach him, made a way for us to be saved, made a way for us to spend eternity with him through someone that many saw as unnoticed. And that is a powerful reminder to us to always remember to pay attention to each other, 
to notice that a man named Melchizedek could be in our midst at any moment and we don't realize it. And Jesus did not come through the line of Levi. He didn't come through the priestly family that God set up. Instead, Jesus was from the tribe of Judah, but he came in, and as we hear in these powerfully in these verses, through the power of an indestructible life, he became a priest for us. And in verse 17, the writer of Hebrews is quoting Psalm 110. Psalm 110 was written by David, and David sang this, song, this verse as a prophecy. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And what the writer of the Psalms is saying here is that Jesus has come and become a new kind of priest for all of us. The one priest for all time. And we're going to talk more about what Jesus' priesthood means next week. But for today, why this matters for us. You may be sitting here thinking, preacher, you've talked about Genesis. You've talked about Numbers. You've talked about Levites. You've talked about this man named Melchizedek that I've never heard of before. How does all this come together? And I just want to encourage you once again to go back and reread some of these passages and it will come together with time. But why this matters for us today, friends, is that this message was preached. This message was written because the church needed to be as strong as it possibly could. Because the, there was an assembling of believers, an assembling of people who came together who loved Jesus, who followed him, but they needed a common heritage together. And their common heritage is in the priesthood of Jesus Christ. Their common heritage is in the fact not that, that that priesthood didn't just begin when Jesus walked the earth, but went back to the time of Abraham. And we have all been made into one family together. In verse 22, we hear Jesus has united us. He's become the guarantee of a better covenant. And he wants for us to deepen our unity together. And in looking back, on this story. Looking back on these stories of the Old Testament, we have a common heritage together. And we may not remember every single detail, but in our heritage, we have to remember the things that matter most. And one of those being that God has brought together what sin tried to separate. Earlier this week, I was talking to my mom on the phone, and she told me, um, she was telling me about reading an obituary online, and she said, she called this lady's name, and she said, did you see that Mrs. So-and-so died? And I said, no, I didn't. And after a pause, I said, Mom, who, who is Mrs. So-and-so? I, I don't remember her. And uh, she said, um, and she said, you know, she was the secretary at your elementary school. She loved you. She was so sweet to you. And I said, I don't remember her. I said, was she old back then? I, I, I said, what did she look like? I mean, I was just trying to remember what it was like as, an, as, a, as a 10 or 11-year-old trying to remember this lady. And we went back and forth, and Mom just kept saying, but she loved you. She loved you. I can't believe you don't remember her. This lady was crazy about you, and it was driving me crazy that I could not, I couldn't remember what this lady looked like. I vaguely remembered her name. I could kind of remember her voice, but I was just driving myself crazy looking back and trying to remember every detail, and I realized I missed my mother's point. My mom's point was, hey, this lady who loved you and who you loved, even though you don't seem to, you know, you're having trouble remembering her, even though you, you don't remember her, she loved you and you loved her. And that's what matters. And friends, when we look back, in term, when we're looking back at our story as believers, when we're looking back to the story of the Hebrews and everything that came before, it is going to be hard to remember every single detail. But we need to remember the heritage that matters, which is the fact 
that we were loved, that we are loved, and we are called to love each other in spite of and in the midst of our differences. And that is what will propel us forward as the body of Christ. And Jesus gives in, the, in his example exactly what that looks like and what we can be as the church moving forward. I think that this passage in the book of Hebrews is so very important for us right now as we seek to rebuild God's church together. Not just rebuild um, the number of people coming to church on Sunday morning, not just restarting activities, but friends, when you think about the gospel as a whole, that what we are, what God has entrusted to us is restoring and rebuilding what matters the most. And the writer of Hebrews tells us what will propel us forward, the story of Jesus's love for us. And it is, it's outlined for us beautifully right here. Look with me in verse 25. In verse, 20, verse 24 tells us, Jesus holds his priesthood permanently. He continues forever. This is for all time. Consequently, he always lives to make intercession for them. Let's pause there for a moment. Friends, do you realize every time you pray in Jesus' name, every time we pray together in Jesus' name, that Jesus himself is at the right hand of God, and he turns to the Father and makes our requests known to the Father. He is that mediator that we can access the power of God at any place and at any time because Jesus is interceding for us. Jesus is where has borne the suffering, he's borne the pain, and now he is in that place next to God exalted on high, making our requests known to God. Every request that we have Jesus is there hearing them and interpreting them and discussing them with the Father. And that is what we are called to do as well, to make intercession for each other as the body of Christ in this world. We are called to send, to to give unto heaven, to give unto our heavenly Father the concerns that are brought to us. That's how we love each other. That's how we love God is in that place of intercession. And we will know, they will know we are Christians by our love, but they will also know we are Christians when we resemble Jesus. And in verse 26, we have such a great description of Jesus. It is fitting we should have such a high priest who is holy, blameless, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Friends, what we hear described here is so different from what we see in the world. It's the opposite of what we see in the world today, right? I mean, holiness, blamelessness, uprightness, purity of heart. That is what God desires for us to follow, not just to follow after Jesus, but to be more like him. And when we come to him as our high priest, when we recognize he is the way to the Father, when we recognize that a man called Melchizedek was the ancestor of this, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who, who, set, who made the way for him to be king of righteousness and king of peace. Well, you know what? Righteousness and peace are available to us as well. Righteousness and peace are ours. That was what was associated with Melchizedek. And it is associated, it's who Jesus is, and we can have that same righteousness and peace. That is what will distinguish the church in this world in the future. They will know we are Christians by our love, but they will know that we are like Jesus because of our righteousness and because of a peace that surpasses understanding. May that peace be ours today. May we grow in that peace. May we live in that peace. May we take the good of the past And may it propel us into the beauty of the future through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with the Father and the Holy Spirit, the blessed three in one, now and forever. Amen.